guys, welcome to the Fieldcrafts Raw podcast. I'm going to be your host for this ad space. Just want to bring attention to a couple companies that really make this possible for us. And uh, these are some really good folks out there. First company I want to bring some attention to is Black Rifle Coffee. If you have been living under a rock, you might not know that Black Rifle Coffee is a veteran-owned coffee company. They're located over in Salt Lake City, but there are stores opening up all over the United States now. And the coffee is available online and all over the place. Uh, you really want to go take a look at some of the stuff that they offer. I'm a big fan of their instant coffee packets for travel. You know, when the airline comes around and they're like, hey, you know, do you want something to drink? I usually will just say, give me hot water. Uh, and I'll use the Black Rifle coffee packets just because it's so damn strong. Uh, I would rather do that than use some of their other kind of anemic coffee. So I, I'm a big fan of Black Rifle coffee, instant coffee packs. Uh, other stuff that they have that you might want to pay attention to, obviously, they've got a whole lineup of ground coffee. They're just black, silencer smooth, gunship. I mean, the list goes on and on. We, of course, at Fieldcraft Survival have the Endurance blend of coffee, which is pretty damn good. And if you come to any of our training events, you're more than likely going to find it brewing uh, over the campfire. That is, if you come to our survival training events, I don't know if these jokers are doing at the the gun stuff. They're probably, I don't know doing something else, but they're not drinking Black Rifle coffee over a campfire. Totally different class. All right. So uh, check these guys out, blackriflecoffee.com. You can use our coupon code, which is CRAFT15, and that's going to give you a discount when you check out. The only thing I think that is not included with this Black Rifle Coffee coupon code, CRAFT15, are the ready-to-drink things. They're just too damn heavy to ship, I'm guessing, but you can get all your coffee you can get Keurig cups. You can get all sorts of good stuff. And uh, I highly, highly suggest you check them out. The other company I want to bring your attention to is Sig Sauer. Sig Sauer is located up in New Hampshire. And if you guys are not familiar with New Hampshire, state motto, live free or die. That's right. Granite State, awesome people up there. I love going back to New England. I was born in New England and I spent a lot of time up in New Hampshire and I've spent a lot of time at the Sig Sauer Academy training all different types of firearms and all different types of uh, skills and and skill sets. So uh, please check them out, sigsauer.com and uh, take a look at where they've been and what they've done, right? Sig is one of those names that you can rely on, you can trust. They've been in the game a very, very long time. Um, it seems like in the 80s and in the 90s, the classic series pistols were really popular, right? Like the 220, 226, 228, 229. And then you start getting into the 2000s and the 2010s. And then you start seeing the emergence of other guns that SIG is producing, like the new 320, 365 variations that have come out and really just cornered the market when it comes to highly customizable guns. So please check them out as well. Um, and if you really want to try out something a hell of a lot of fun, you got to get your hands on either the MCX or the MPX. It, the way I can describe these two rifles, uh, well, rifle or pistol, depending if you get it with a pistol brace, it just has a different recoil impulse. It feels really, really good. Uh, sweet shooting guns, um, highly, highly capable guns. So please check them out. That is sigsour.com. And if you get a chance, check out the instructors. A lot of them have their own pages. Uh, from the SIG Academy. Again, great folks over there. So please check them out, sixhour.com. All right, guys, here we go. Let's get to this podcast. 
Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Phil Krause Survival Podcast. And this is our limited edition called Mission Resilience. We've got 12 episodes. Uh, Kevin Owens is episode two. Uh, on the first episode, I had Sean Kirkwood, a uh, fifth Special Forces Group veteran, a career military guy with a lot of contracting experience, but got to share a lot of his experiences to help you guide yourself through a lot of this thing called resilience. I mean, resilience is mindset. But the reason I'm having this version of the podcast, because I think it's beneficial to listen to people's experiences and challenges and some of the tactics they utilized uh, through their own failures and through their own successes that might potentially help you. I mean, the, the whole mission of Phil Cross Survival and everything we do, even the new training launch is to build your resilience. I mean, you go to training to gain confidence, to become more resilient. It's not just about learning a technical skill, it has to do with the ability to bounce back and then bounce back and thrive versus bounce back and just survive. So you guys are familiar with Kevin Owens. And if you're not, Kevin Owens and myself uh, were teammates in special operations. He was one of my small unit tactics instructors back in 2003, 2004 timeframe. No, and, and 2002. 2002. You started that in 02. Yeah. When did you, I think you probably went? I went to selection in 02 and started the Q course in 02. Uh, okay, and you probably went to SUT. Oh, yeah, SUT 20 years ago, the man. end of 02. Mm, 20 years ago. Oh, my god, yeah, I know. Um, and also, Kevin Owens is the training director on the east coast in North Carolina with Sean Kirkwood. As we evolve, Sean Kirkwood would be running Dallas, Kevin Owens runs North Carolina, and they have uh, their roles, but it's to facilitate and train you and everything from. Like uh, Sean Kirkwood said, canning and jarring to precision rifle. I mean, that's a big spectrum of stuff. Um, I want to get a little bit, uh, Kevin, into your background and kind of where you come from um, and some of the highlights of your life leading up to working for Phil Krause Survival, which I know is the pinnacle of your life. <laughs> I was um, say, it's all downhill from no here. There was no highlight until I got to Phil Krause Yeah, there was right? no highlight. Um, but all that stuff is important in context because you have a profound experience. So let's talk about your uh, background. How far back you want to go? Let's go. Let's go back to the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> no, where, like where did you grow up? Where, where were you raised? I was born in Ireland and raised in Ireland, and uh, I'm sure some of you have heard the story before because I've told it a couple of times. But I tell it differently every time because I, I I can't remember what I I can't remember said so last time. Yeah. Right, so. Um, so I grew up in Ireland. I, I big Catholic family, uh, fairly poor, uh, fourteen kids, um, two parents, sixteen of us living in a small house. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, "Were you a middle child?" I'm like, "Yeah, I was nine of 14. <laughs> Uh Eight girls, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, eight girls, six boys, and uh, parents. Right, and you know, you come to a house and there's a couple of kids running around, and every now and again I stop and think. And I go, I was like, oh my god, what was it like to have fourteen kids? Now they weren't all small at the same time, right? There was like almost two batches. There was like the older ones, and then the 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 younger ones, and I was in the younger batch, I think. Um, but it was uh, how many square foot was the house? It was really small. It was really small. It was owned by the government. Like we rented it from the government. It was yeah. like a council house. Yeah. It, but you know, it's not like it's it's a bad thing because that's all you know, right? That that's just normal life to you. So 
Um, it wasn't like I lived in, in a house with three kids and then I went to a house with 14 kids. Like, so you're like, oh my God, there's so many people here. Um, I've always enjoyed solitude, actually, my whole life. I like being alone um, for periods. Like I like to get out, go hiking and just just be alone, uh, you know, periodically, not all the time. But um, I'm sure that comes from that. And that, that came from, um, it, it was kind of a fairly common thing back then. And... Uh, it, it's not anymore. It, it, it's less common now, especially for that that size family. So, um, grew up there. A uh, couple of older brothers, a couple of younger brothers, kind of in the middle with the boys. Um, grew up pretty tough, honestly, uh, especially compared to the way kids are, are raised today. Um, you know, a lot of fighting, a lot of go outside and figure shit out. Go. Were pay. you fighting for resources, literally? Because. I mean, how do you feed 14 children or 15 children? How do you feed that? Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, and my old man was like a bricklayer. He built houses, but he got hurt and then he went on disability and he didn't, he didn't work for a very long time. And uh, my mom was super intelligent, like not, not real formally educated and all that, but just very, very tough, capable woman who could manage a lot of things. And she held us accountable, man. She ruled with an iron fist and kept us all in line. And it's not easy to keep 14 kids in line. Were you raising each other? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The older kids raised the younger kids a lot of the time. And especially the girls, the girls in our house growing up worked hard. They, um, they did a lot of chores. Uh, yeah, uh, they, they did a lot of cooking and cleaning. And, and I remember my my older sisters being almost like a, a nanny to us when we were younger, right? They they they, they raised the, the, because you can't manage 14 kids, right? And, and like we had no car. So my mom, my mom would go and do groceries on the bus. And imagine groceries for 14 people on the bus and bags of groceries. So she would take a couple of us to carry stuff. And then we would shop in a local store. Uh, and then, we, you know, we had milk delivered and bread delivered. That was a very common thing. But, you know, I look at, you know, we, we talk about resilience a lot, right? And it's, it's, it's a very um, kind of common word, but it, it's not really well defined. But when you look at people who struggle and just figure that shit out. Like I, I, my mom is the strongest woman I've ever, ever met in my life. She was tough and she, and so was yours. And and she ruled hard, but she had to, she did what she had to do. I remember she, uh, there was no heat in our house, right? There was a fireplace, excuse me, in the, uh, in the sitting room. And there was a, like a potbelly stove in the kitchen that you did all cooking on, but there was no central heating or anything like that. And the girls, so the master bedroom upstairs, which was slightly bigger than the other rooms, that's where all the girls were because there was eight of them and it was the biggest room, right? <laughs> and then there was a small room. My parents were in, the boys were like stacked into another room. But that master bedroom had a fireplace in it, which was never used. And uh, my mom caught, she found cigarette butts in that. So the girls were smoking upstairs and she beat wholesale ass. And I remember, because she was scared because they, they could burn the fucking house down. You know what I mean? Um, but she was was quick with the with the shoe. She was quick with the, with the, the, the UFC tactics, but she needed to be because with that many people, you, you needed to rule. I, I, uh, I went on a school tour when I was like 11 one time. And we went to this place and I bought a pack of 12 stink bombs. Remember those things? Mm -hmm. And they come in like a little bottle. Yeah. And you drop them and step on them. 
Yeah. Smell like rotten ass, like rotten eggs and just nasty. Well, I let one off in the house. <laughs> Not my best moment, right? <laughs> Got my ass kicked. And then in a fit of rage, she took the other 11 from me and threw them in the fire. So they exploded and stunk the whole street. <laughs> so, I got the my chimney. Ass, so I got my ass kicked again. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, people, people, people are very strong and, and they, they, they rise to the occasion when they're under-resourced. Like, you just figure that shit out. You know, you, a lot of the country, the most innovative and resourceful people I've ever seen are poor people. You go to these foreign countries like Afghanistan and, and they just figure shit out. You'll, you'll see in Afghanistan, you'll, you'll see a a car come down the street and the front's a motorcycle and the back's a car and you're, they just built it right themselves. So they, they just, you're not giving all the, you know, given all these assets and all these resources, you just figure that shit out. And I think when you're over resourced, you just become lazy and things become very normal and very, very easy for you. And, and I think that's part of the problem in society today. Hmm. People are just, they're handed everything and they, they, whenever suddenly they can't have something and it just, they melt down. Like, um, so I wish we could, it'll never happen, but I wish we could go back a little bit to, to that time when, you know, you know, I grew up fairly poor. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, we had food on the table and, and we would do things like we go raid like local farms and steal like crops and stuff like that. You know what I mean? To eat. And to eat. Like potato. Like if they, if they were, if they, there was potatoes in the fields, we, we would, Number one, we we used to take September off school and go pick potatoes. So we need the money. The family needed the money. But then we go out at nighttime and raid the potato field and get bags of potatoes for free, right? And it was just the done thing. Um, but we always had food in the table. But we we were fairly poor. But honestly, I think it was a much better time to grow up than it is now. Because mm. now, when with with swamp with all the toxic shit and, and, and you know social media and with phones everywhere, and I just think it was a better time. Maybe that's just me. Well, it seems yeah. like there's a lot of issues. Uh, maybe you're maybe you're onto something where maybe it's not that we aren't resilient because it seems like naturally in when put in the position mm -hmm. we evolve and figure it out we're adaptive mm. but when you're given everything when you're entitled then the big the the latest social media spat is the breaking news in your life mm. and it disrupts everything maybe you get and you out, break down. Maybe you get out of practice yeah. because you're not utilizing those muscles, right? Those yeah. figure it out muscles. Um, and, and you're kind of handed the solution a lot. Um, and, and maybe you just get lazy and you get, you don't get used to figuring things out. I, I, I've got an example, right? When I, when, when we were going to Afghanistan early on, and we had gun trucks and we had GMV, uh, the GMVs that come in, ground mobility vehicles, Humvees, special operations version of a Humvee. Is that what GMV stands for? Ground mobility vehicle. Yes. <laughs> Boom. Yes. I have never yeah. known. Isn't it funny? Because your whole life an acronym. Like, or a, I've been a, saying yeah. GMV for my entire military career and that's the first time yeah. I've heard the yeah. acronym. And I probably didn't know until I went to Force Mod and we yeah. worked on the GMV one that one. So, <laughs> you know, but we, we got Humvees stripped down, no doors. And then we took them and we took grinders and saws and welding and we we changed where the, the ammo cans were. We put steps on the back. We did all this stuff to make them workable. And then I remember going to uh, Afghanistan in 04 and then we were going to Iraq in 05, but Iraq was in the city. So like having all these fuel cans on the vehicle, not a great That's idea. And there's IEDs, right? Yeah. So you had to retool the whole thing. When I was in Force Mod, Explain to what I'm Force sorry, Mod is. I'm sorry, Force Mod is the Force Modernization Office. It's uh, 
the office within Special Forces Command that writes all the programs and, and pushes requirements for all kinds of new gear, trucks, guns, bullets, um, night vision, drones, counter, hundreds of programs. So you have to have soldiers, special operations, Green Berets involved in that process because engineers look at things differently. Procurement officers look at things differently. Contractors, you have to have soldier touch points to go, this is what I cannot do with the equipment I have right now. This is what I'm, I need. And then we work all that process all the way up through. It's a, it's a long process. But if you don't have those soldiers touch points uh, early on, you go in the wrong direction and you get garbage, right? That, that's just the way it is. Um, and, and in SOCOM, requirements and programs are, are bottom-up driven from the teams. Mm -hmm. In the Army, they're top-down driven from the Pentagon. The Pentagon goes, hey, we're going to give you this new thing, bang. And soldiers don't really get involved until the end. And, and it it's very, very problematic. But when I was in Force Mod, they used to come up and we'd get these memos up from groups asking for permission to modify a vehicle. Now, when you formally request permission to modify a vehicle, everybody gets in their cover your ass mode because if if somebody, if a general writes a memo that gives you permission to modify the vehicle and it's structurally um, not, it doesn't have the integrity and it it rolls and somebody dies, then, you know, we, we, we live in a, a blame somebody world, right? Uh, especially in the US military and somebody will get crucified. So it's easier for that group commander ever say no. I'm not letting you modify it. Whereas if they had just went and done it, nobody would have even noticed, you know? So I was like, why are you asking? We just did this back in the day and nobody freaking yeah. cared. Now you're making it an issue. Now you're making it a big issue because you want credit for it. Because look at me, I'm innovating, right? Because you want it on your, your OER, your NCOER, your evaluation report. So um, it, it was just a weird mindset for me because back then we just did whatever we wanted and nobody batted an eye. Um, but the, the mentality had definitely I, I, I changed over the course of time and, and people just didn't do that anymore. Mm. And I, I, I'd so much rather just get it done. Yeah, know? it's like the CONOP approval process before. It's yes. like you just went out and did it. Yeah. And then we started creating our, the, our mm -hmm. own constraints and requirements because we start formulating plans and then people want more information, mm -hmm. more details. And then you're like, what are we doing? Yeah. Now you want a camera inside of my scope yeah. to be able to manage and mm -hmm. see things that are going on? Like, what are we micromanaging here? Yeah. I can't it, do the job. Ridiculous, right? And then the, because the, the con up, the, the, the amount of information you had to give to the hire to go out and do your job, because that requirement became so high, now the communications package to talk to back to headquarters from anywhere you were in, in, in Afghanistan and Iraq became higher, which came with a bill. So now these these uh, satellite communication nodes that were like a million dollars and supposed to be at the battalion level, they were all the way, trying to get them all the way down to the team level because the team had to report back and get permission to do everything. It was just, it, it, it was a, it's a very bad way Special operations are supposed to be free thinkers, man. You give them a task and purpose and you let them go. And when you micromanage them like that, you you just shackle them and, and you're not going to get. And they're less adaptable. They they're really less resilient. Are. And they're, yeah. less, they're less likely to think outside the box when they're getting shut down all the time. You yeah. know? Um, well, it's, it's like basic psychology and just people. I mean, if you micromanage them and you over uh, control them, mm -hmm. they won't make decisions on their own. They won't. And they're mm -hmm. less resilient. Mm -hmm. They're almost robotic. And it seems like the state of the society that we live in now is full of bots where people are 
they they don't want to free think because they're being told how to think mm-hmm. by influencers, by people. And that makes us less capable as a society, but also less resilient, obviously. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. You know, when I get out of the army like two years ago too, and I had no social media, right? And, and yeah. I don't have much of one now, but it's such a, it's such a weird thing to watch from the outside and just watch people jump on the bandwagon with a narrative that's not even true, right? Mm-hmm. And just go 100%. And, and I'm like, my God, look at these. Like, do these people not have jobs, you know? Well, <laughs> we never grew up with it in the military. Yeah. And and we didn't have, I mean, we didn't have access. We we really didn't have approval. And then it was in our culture at the time, not, not acceptable, right? Mm-hmm. Now kids grow up in that culture. Yeah. And then for them, when you say, get off your phone. Th- that's very foreign to them. Yeah. It's very different than us saying, get off your phone. And we're like, yeah, you're right. For them, it's like a natural thing to be on a date with somebody and staring at their phone mm. or being in a, in a bus or a <laughs> social setting. Texting each other across the table at a date. Yeah. You know, you know, I've realized <clears throat> just recently, like I, so I grew up in Ireland, then I went in the army in fucking 87 and spent a couple of years in the infantry, went to special operations, was in special operations in Ireland. How old are you when you joined the army? The American army or no, the I mean, Irish the, army? 18. Irish okay. 18, yeah. right out of high school. So um, needed a sense of purpose, needed to go somewhere. A lot of anger issues, a lot of faking, um, a lot of fighting, a lot of, uh, anyway, but needed something to steer that into, which was, the army's great for that. Um, went in the army, kind of found a home. And, and I always feel sorry for kids who, they can't figure out what they want to do. It's very hard at 18 go, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Because you're going to college and now you're locking in, right? So that, that's, and I'm not trying to push the army on anybody, but the army's good for that. You can go in, you can get a little buffer, you can get yeah, an education, get a little bit of leadership training, get money for college and come out as a little bit more mature and make a decision from there. Anyway, it, it's not for everybody, but I, I was lucky and so were you. We we found a home very early and, and kind of thrived in that environment. I always thrived in the army and I don't know why because I was a little bit of, I was a super kind of obedient total line kid till I was about 15 and then I just lost my mind for a couple of same, years same. and then the army put me back in it's that whole maturity thing so um, same the uh, and, and the army is a good way it's, it's like having parents man it, it control everything you do um, and, and hold you accountable so I spent a couple of years in the infantry and then I went to special operations and you know the, the, the range wing guys I I, I in that unit, you know some of them through, through sniper comps, and so they're the same as SF guys in, in in America, right? So lived in that world for for seven years in Ireland. Got out, contracted, did this, did that, then came to America and joined the army again at Private E One, and then spent twenty two years in the army, twenty four years in the army, um, most of which was in eighteen in special forces and six in the infantry. So I've come to realize now that I've been a civilian for about two years that. I, I, I've always been of the opinion, when you talk about resilience and, and figuring things out and dealing with stuff, I never thought it was a big deal And I, because I've been surrounded my whole life by guys who were pretty good at that, right? They were all, I, I can't, but then when you, de- when you get into the civilian world and you deal with civilians sometimes where if you detonate on them or, or yell at them or things don't go their way, and this is not all civilians, obviously, they, they kind of shut down, right? It, it's 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 been an education because in the army, especially in special operations, we are very direct. Like it's an obligation to call people out if because the mission fails and they get fucked up, right? So Somebody dies. Yeah. Somebody dies, right? 
Um, so it was very normal for us. We'd do after action reviews on mission and we, we'd crush people, right? Because we're all here to learn. I remember when I was a private, because I had all this background and then I went in the American Army as a private. I'd be at an after action review as a private, like mosquito wing, and I'd just be crushing people. And they'd be like, who the hell is this guy? You know? And I remember a, 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 an officer, a platoon leader, come over to me and said, I don't appreciate you calling me out. And I was like, you're here to learn. We're all here to learn. This is what it's about, right? Um, but it became very normal for us to be very direct. But it doesn't work very well in the civilian world sometimes. You, you, you've got well, More so now, right? Because yeah, the culture yeah, doesn't yeah. accept... Uh, honesty? They don't. Yeah. Honesty is a good way to put it. And I, I find it hard to function in that sometimes. Honestly, I I, I pull back and withdraw because I, I, I oh, I want to say this, but I can't. I, I just can't right now. And I can't tell you how I really feel, yes. even though I really want to tell you how I really feel. <laughs> I can tell you. Yeah. But, and I can tell Sean, but I, I, I there's other, I, I just, so I always thought that because that standard, that resilient standard or that kind of I thought I thought that was everybody I thought that was the whole world because that's the only thing I've been exposed to my whole life right 35 years in two army and like so then I get out and I'm like that's not the norm that's the exception I guess that's why they call it special operations and uh it, it's been a bit of a uh an education for me and, and it's just you have to learn how to navigate it or you can't function um but like I said you, you grew up poor you grew up under-resourced and you just become good at dealing with shit. Um, and I think human beings, everybody today, 100 years ago, they're, the, the, the human mind is very resilient and it will, it will adapt for the most part. Um, we adapt to tragedy all the time. People yeah. love dying. We, Classic we cases of it through disaster and war. Yeah. Of so us some of the most adapting. horrific shit you ever seen. And, yeah. and people, they... they, they they grieve, time heals it somewhat, they move on, you know? So I think they're they're more resilient than they think. Um, but I, I think that they have this idea that they're not, but the, the, the human mind is, is, is built that way. It's built to bounce back as long as you don't let it crush you. And a lot of people let it crush them when they get a couple of little hits in a row and it, it leads to them doing something stupid, you know? Yeah, I, um, I, was, I was pretty impressed in, in periods of war, um, I think every country that I've been to, whether it was a conflict or a war zone, whether, you know, it was contracting or the, or the military, where you see, you know, in, in Sebastian Younger's book, War, he talks about specifically how in World War II, there were people who were getting the crap bombed out of them in England, but their morale was high. Yeah. They band together. Mm -hmm. And the happiness seemed prevalent mm -hmm. and you you go to afghanistan you go to iraq you go to yemen you go to these countries and there's pockets of tragedy and catastrophe and war surrounded by children laughing and kicking soccer balls and mm -hmm. playing and you're like what a conundrum especially in an insurgency mm -hmm. and when when i see americans who lose themselves in social media and then when uh somebody has a catastrophe an accident and everybody's recording it on their cell phone and nobody's helping, that's not familiar to me. Mm. Because in foreign countries, somebody gets in an accident and everybody uh, bands together to help that person mm -hmm. to navigate the circumstance. But in but in uh, America, you're starting to see more indications that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I don't know why. 
I don't know why either. Um, and I think we take we take hits, and I'll put myself in this category too. We take hits in life that mean nothing, and we get all pissed off over it. When if you take a step back and look at real hits that people take, like I I I just did a podcast with Chuck Ritter. You know, you know Chuck. He's our yeah, yeah. he's our major in SF. The, on a Phil Craft podcast. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 and. Uh, Chuck's great. Like I've known him. We were we were instructors together, and, and I've known him for years. But blown up and shot multiple times. Like the first time, I think the bomb was the first. And you check out the podcast. But he hit an IED, flipped the vehicle multiple times, killed two people in the vehicle, wounded another guy. Two really teammates, bad. right? Yeah, two team blew out all his teeth, like rocked him really bad. Came back, got rehabilitated, back on the horse, back to combat. Back in comic, gets shot three times in one mission: one the leg, one the ass, one in the back. Um, there's a video on it actually, uh, helmet cam footage. Yeah, gets is that the one where he goes into the compound? Yeah, and after, he's shot. after being shot three times, he stands up and runs to the casualty collection point. You know what I mean? Yeah, like is he is he the guy? Yeah, that's Chuck on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And the medic treats him and they move him back. Did he kill the guy who who shot him? And no, it was a PKM shooter. It was a PKM oh. gunner. He was shooting at him, and the guy was over here. And he thought he was here and hit him. First one hit him in the leg, right in right the front of the leg, which doubled him over. A second one under his body armor, took a chunk out of his back. Didn't, PKM. PKM. Oh, Didn't God. penetrate his lung, luckily. Was it 762 by 54? Yeah, rimmed. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's a big round. And uh, so they, they they medevaced and went back, rehabbed, back to combat again, shot in the hand. Actually got shot in the hand early on in the trip, went back, rehabbed. Like escaped, it was like something at a band of brothers. Escaped from the hospital, got on a flight, got back to his team before the rotation was over. Got back at another combat mission on the same one where he shot in the hand. Like you know, just and and when we started, I was like, this podcast is about resilience. It's about Wait, getting- shot in the hand after being shot that separate time. Yeah, a that separate was a completely time. separate time. Oh yeah. my gosh, uh, it, Chuck stay he shot home. again. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Brian was the regiment CSM at the time, and Brian was like. At what point do we tell this guy he can't go to combat anymore? He's going to die, you know? But every single, it's, it's a really good podcast. He was saying that last time they were coming in the Chinook, commanders were getting jacked up and they were told, look, you got to go in and get him out. And they're like, okay. Well, he was he was telling me, he was like saying to his, his 18 alpha, his officer, he's like, we're probably going to die on this mission. I'm just telling you that right now. This is bad. He said, they're coming in the Chinook and he looked up and all the holes were getting punched in the side of the Chinook. Oh, Chinook taking machine rounds. gun fire hitting her butt. And as he came off, it hit him in the hand and, and took his hand out. And it was really cool because he was like, everything on my kit was set up for- um, Right hand? Right hand. And I couldn't reach anything uh, because my hand was hit. Like this hand was hit. And with this hand, it was it was set up for non-firing hand because generally we keep a weapon here yeah. and we reach here. Well, this hand was hit and it was out of the game and nothing, he couldn't reach his his radio. He couldn't reach his, his compass. He was trying to get a bearing on them. He couldn't reach, uh, uh, he was reached for something, his aid kit. He couldn't reach anything, you know, but it was, it, it, the way he tells it is really good. Like, and, uh, but he got, got wrapped up back rehab back to combat in the same rotation and back on another mission before the, the the team came back with with i mean that's resilience right that's i'm gonna rehab i saw chuck in uh, after he hit that ied in afghanistan and he was jacked up and all his teeth were gone and uh that he'd been rocked so bad that he uh, and i talked to him about this on a podcast it, when i saw him his house was near it was in fayetteville but it was near the artillery ranges in Fort Bragg. And he said when the artillery would fire, it would just shake his bones like to the core yeah. because he was so basically shell-shocked from the whole thing. Um, but again, back out, shake it off, rehab, back to war, 11 trips in a row, right? So- um, in- Incredible. That's resilience right there, man. Yeah, that- it's, it's almost like there's, so I, you know, in my own 
journey and curiosity and trying to discover this thing that we talk about in resilience, which has a figurative meaning as well as a literal meaning. When you see that, uh, especially stories of resilience in real time through adversity, through difficult challenges in war, that is like the culmination of resilience. Mm -hmm. But how how I'm trying to assess uh, through through my own curiosity is how are people like Chuck able to get through that? What are the things that led to the point in which he was able to get through those challenges? Mm -hmm. you, you've had your own own challenges in getting through difficult circumstances, personally and professionally. Let's talk about like professionally. Well, here's the thing about resilience with me, right? If you ask me if I'm a resilient person, I'd say, no, I'm not. Certain things crush me. I overthink them. They bother me. They, 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 other things don't bother me at all. Like, um, <laughs> I remember, I probably shouldn't say this, but I, I remember in 05, our ODA was under investigation for misappropriation of some funds. Happens a lot. It does. And we were under investigation. Now, it was, it ended up being nothing, right? Of swept under carpet or thrown out, whatever it was. But I was the guy. I was one of the guys. No, the money guys. The, one of the money guys. Yeah, and, I was too. Um, I was looking at paying back $45,000 and being hammered for misappropriation of funds, right? And this thing went on for about three weeks. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I had more stress than I had in my life. Now, you could tell me, okay, hey, we're going to hit this target tonight. There's a hundred foreign fighters on it. Suicide vests. It's going to be brutal. And I'd be like, oh, let's go, man. That wouldn't bother me in the slightest. But you tell me I'm under investigation. I have to pay $45,000 back. And my reputation is going to get stained and all the shit that goes with that. That destroyed me for weeks. I, I swear I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I was a fucking wreck. So resilience is really, it's not handling a certain type of stress or type of event, it's handling the one that crushes you because everything, different things crush different people, right? Um, there's people who, that we know, if you told them they're under investigation, they wouldn't give a shit. They wouldn't care, it's crazy right? They've taken their stride. Yeah. Um, my, my reputation and my integrity are extremely important to me. And if that gets hit, that, 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 that really does destroy me. But hey, going to hit a target with foreign fighter, let's go, man. This is awesome. I've been waiting for this, right? So, I, I think it's the, the ability to manage that thing that really does ham, kind of put that pressure on you inside and, and makes your brain go and, and overthink things and, and just get, get wrapped up in that stupid ass shit. Um, what well, do you, do you ha have you noticed, uh, I mean, in my own uh, patterns and behavior, I have noticed I've done this, but do you, do you notice that you try to avoid those Absolutely. type of things that bother Absolutely. you? Yeah. Look at my social media. I don't argue with anybody. You want to argue with me? I don't care. Uh, you want to disagree with me? Good for you. You're entitled to your own opinion. You want to be an asshole? I just block you. I don't care because I don't, you know, my numbers of followers and my numbers of subscribers, I don't really care, right? So, and I don't need your toxicity. So I'll read through them generally, but after the first day or two, I don't read them anymore. Um, if you want to DM me and send me a question, a legitimate question, I'll answer you. So I just avoid it because I can, I, I avoid the news now because if you, I was away somewhere recently and Fox News was in the hotel and within an hour of just getting the same narrative over and over and over again, I, I felt bad. I felt like my mood had dropped, right? Because I never put the news on at home, ever. Because I just avoid it. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm generally aware of what goes on, but 
getting that recycled over and over and over again and blown under. It's not Fox News. They're one side, but it's all the media. Media is just so corrupt. Garbage, yeah. But it's all spewing. And they're trying to get you ramped up. They're trying to get you emotional. And because you just, te- there was a time when I was a news junkie, I was in it all the time too, yeah. and it just made me feel bad. Mm-hmm. And I had a ton of stress and coming out of the army at that time when I was at that last job in the army. But um, my goal coming out of the army was to have no stress or limit my stress. Mm-hmm. And that was part of it. Detaching from the garbage media has really, really helped me. And it is avoidance. You're avoiding something, but it, it, it works for me. And, and I just don't get engaged and I don't get in arguments with fucking people on internet. I don't care. You know, you don't want to believe me. Don't follow me. I don't care. You know? Yeah. Hey y'all wanted to take a quick break from this podcast to let you know that one of our sponsors is element oftentimes mispronounced as L M N T It is an electrolyte company, and if you haven't heard anything about them yet, they are taking the science-backed electrolyte market by storm. Each little sachet of powder has 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. Everything you need, nothing that you don't. That means no sugar, no junk, lots of salt. Lots of salt you'll get used to the salt, don't worry. As a nurse, I've always understood the importance of electrolytes in our body. When you're doing any sort of natural processes, which happen on the daily in your body, whether you want it to or not, or you're expending energy through working out or chasing kids or just doing your basic job, you have to rehydrate with more than just water. You need hydration on the cellular level and electrolytes are the key that can unlock that for you. I can 100% tell when I don't take my electrolytes. It's something I take every single day. But when I'm working out, especially in the hot summer or the cold winter, when you get dehydrated the most, believe it or not, I notice a huge difference when I'm not taking my electrolytes. If you haven't tried electrolytes, I highly encourage you to do so. It is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs. So even if you're doing keto or low carb or a paleo diet, you can use the element. It's great at helping to prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps, and fatigue. Helps you with hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance in the body. My favorite flavor is orange salt. My kid's favorite flavor is watermelon salt. I think you'll love it. Give it a try. And if you go to drink lmnt.com slash fieldcraft, you'll get a free sample pack that's eight single serving packets free with any element order. It's a great way for you to try out all eight flavors or to share element with one of your friends. So visit drink element, drink lmnt.com slash fieldcraft. Do you think that makes you more resilient or less resilient as as we are because I've I've done the same thing obviously I'm navigating I'm navigating my own patterns of behavior and life to accommodate what I know affects me. So I'm adapting mm-hmm. but I'm in the same boat where I realized I've lived a life full of stress. I don't like what stress does to me physically, mm-hmm. mentally. Mm-hmm. And if I avoid it at all costs by setting my life up to avoid it, 
then it puts me in a better mood. Mm-hmm. But does that necessarily make me more resilient? I, I think if you can affect it, you should confront it. You can't affect the internet. You can't affect assholes taking a comment out of context. You can argue with them for months. You're never going to win. It's 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 very difficult to win an argument with a smart person. It's impossible to win an argument with an idiot, right? And they want they want to goad you. They want to get you going. And so if I thought I could I could solve it, help it, fix it, I'd confront it. I can't, I can't help the internet. I can't help the hundreds of assholes who want to make smart ass comments and take a thing out of context and argue with me. I don't have time to argue with you. You don't want to believe me? Don't believe me. It's interesting though that our conflict, as even we're just stating it or, or, or outlining it now, mm-hmm. is online social. Right. I know it just it just trended yeah. that way versus versus yeah. what like when we didn't have that yeah our conflict was leadership at work yeah peers at work mm-hmm. our spouse uh, our our family mm. but now it's like everybody's diverted their attention to social media and people in social uh, applications as the means to most of their problems well that's the interaction we have now Here, here's what I like right. I don't, I, I don't mind interacting with people on social media who are genuine, right? You know, we went to SIG Freedom Days. I met a hundred people, super nice, shook hands, talked about this, talked about very, very normal conversations, right? Um, I like meeting people who are not extreme on either side and are just normal Americans who want to get on with their life and, and have genuine questions. I actually like that interaction. Yeah, um, I, I, we've replaced that in a lot with social media. And that's why I like to go to training events myself personally, right? And, and you do too, because you get that touch point. You look people in the eye, shake their hand. You'd be like, hey, um, and you said, I had a guy in Texas a couple of weeks ago and I talked to him for like 30 minutes. And he said at the end, he's like, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And I said, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. You know what I mean? I got more out of this conversation than you did. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that interaction is always going to be important for us as a company. Um, but I, the, the, it's just so easy to be a tough guy online, you know, on a, on a DM or on a smart ass comment. It's just such it, it, people, most of the people who do that would never confront you face to face. And I just don't have time to argue. And I feel them. like most of those people are the less or least resilient human beings on the they planet. Are. They are. Because they, yeah. it's almost like a way of like, um, they, they don't under, understand conflict resolution because their default is anger and emotion mm-hmm. like yeah. being emotional mm-hmm. where it's like screw you it's like what what's happening here like yeah. what 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 are we doing yeah but i've also realized i mean i i in my own my own habits have to just get away from it right because it's, so, it's so toxic more yeah. than me and you're the guy who told yeah. me just block them yeah. just get because i i to me I, I you're never gonna stop with your garbage so i'll just get rid of you i, I don't care right so um but you, you, you've recently jumped in and you, because you're trying to justify it, right? You're trying not to justify it, but you're trying to get your point across because you think you're being misunderstood. Well, you're not. You're being deliberately manipulated. Yes. To gain, to, to, to kind of, they're trying to get you involved because they're trying to raise their own status. Um, you know, some people are here and some people are here. Now, some people that are here are trying to get here. 
other people that are here are trying to pull everybody down to their level. And I, I just won't let it. I, I don't, even though sometimes I want to take the, I just don't do it. You'll see, I just don't. I will answer questions. I, I just won't take the bait on a smart ass comment. Yeah, I refuse uh, to yeah. now. That's my yeah, new MO. Yeah. And, and that's taken a lot of mistakes and a lot of uh, self-reflection. Mm. But at the end of the day, you're right. Cause it's you just like, win. you can't I, win. I think it's healthy to confront things you can, you can affect. Yeah. I just don't see the point in, in, because you're never going to affect Yeah, that. you're always punching down. You like, are. Uh, you like, are. You really are. How, how is, you know, my kids are grown and your kids are little. How is this going to evolve with kids and social media and moving forward and resilience? I, I, I think parents like you that are aware of it can mitigate it a lot. Um, but but it's it's always, it's the, the phone, the social media, the, the electronics is a part of their life. Uh, unless you're Amish or something and you're living in, in the middle of nowhere, it's going to be a part of their life growing up. And I, I, I guess if you if you manage it, control it, um, I, I don't know. I'm sure you've thought about this. Well, it's, if yeah. you're – my thing is you – it's just like playing video games. It's like us playing soldier as kids. Mm -hmm. We played war, but we physically played war. Mm-hmm. Because when you physically play war, the touch points are very different than if you play it in a video game mm -hmm. where it's virtual. So if you're willing to go to war because you played war, that's a different experience. But if if your if your access to social, your access to uh, engage and communicate with people is virtual, but you're not willing to actually get out there, mm -hmm. you're not striking a balance. Mm -hmm. And so the detriment is you're not prepared, and and many people that we've interacted with um in, in weird ways have like like I, I told you the story like where a guy shook my hand and he's like hey what's up with mike and like what do you mean what's up with mike like well he shake my hand really firm and look me in the eyes is it like what's you got a beef with me or something like what well, that's like what i do with everybody like mm. what that's how i was raised you shake a hand you look somebody in the eyes because mm -hmm. you're communicating mm. clearly concisely and you're not passive you're not submissive all, all that stuff so my my fear is children are not building the interpersonal skills that's going to prepare them for real life. And so there's going to be a percentage of the population who raised their children like mine who says, I am not going to allow you to be a victim at a latter point because you're only in social media and virtual space. Put down the phone, go access real life because that's how we were raised. Mm -hmm. So if you if you look at our generation, which might be looked at and reflected upon as a GWAT generation that fought the war, maybe maybe the greatest generation, then what's next? And my fear is what's next is a culture that is basically propagating an algorithm that is only making money for the the company, but being completely manipulated by the technology. Mm -hmm. That's scary because now I mean we we spend a lot of time on the road. Everywhere I go, everywhere I sit, I am cognizant of being present in the environment just to get the experience, but but to be situationally aware, most importantly, and realizing everybody around me is completely tuned out from the reality. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for the future? Well, it means if we went to war, what position would we be in? If we had a civil war, what position would we be in? What kind of resilience do we have as a, as a society? If I'm China right now, I'm banding together with Russia, Iran, North Korea, and saying, these guys are the weakest they've ever been. 
it's time. Mm-hmm. Let's. Why would we not take all the resources away from the United States and and break it and divide it into Iran, uh, and Iran, uh, Russia, North Korea, and make it ours? Mm-hmm. And and the 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 crazy thing is, they wouldn't even have to go to war because they would go to a table, meet with politicians, and say. If you don't allow us access, if you don't give us your country, we'll take it. And and then there's a decision to be made. But w- what are we setting ourselves up for for our future? Mm-hmm. We can isolate ourselves and be so dependent on all the outsourcing of all the things that make us less reliant. But someday we're regressing and we're not going to be set up. We're not going to be resilient and we're not going to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And that's what scares me because I, I we talked about this uh, two and a half year, three year deal. Biden did this uh, uh, speech engagement last month, and he was talking about uh, uh, how MAGA, uh, basically Republicans or conservatives, were a threat to a democracy. The idea that one political side of the spectrum, which is half the country, would say the other side, as the president, mm-hmm. the unifier and leader of the free world, mm-hmm. would say half of the country is he, an extremist. Yeah, he's trying to trigger a war, a war a, a, not even a war. Anything like the the January sixth thing was stupid because it gave them ammunition against every conservative in the country, right? Which was it was never going to work anyway, right? It was frustration, but they want any act of violence, anything. Then they can tag everybody who's a conservative as a right wing extremist and go after them. That's what they want. They want any the the fact that the FBI would put out a list, and on that list is like the Punisher skull and and uh, the Betsy Ross flag, and it proves to me there is no extremism on the right because if there was, it would have been on that list. And it's all garbage that was on that list, or it's all kind of made up. But they're trying to trigger an act of violence because that it probably frustrates the crap out of them that there is no violence from any right wing uh yeah ruby ridge uh, and waco uh, are the I last know, examples on that document yeah like yeah ruby ridge where that was a very long time ago and they 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 killed his son yeah yeah like in, yeah. in a yeah. compromised reconnaissance and operation to be wrong in that right and yeah then waco and then uh, uh oklahoma city right so that's they keep going back to that but that tells me there's not really but they want an act of violence to be perpetrated so they can just put everybody who doesn't agree with everything in there that they preach in that box. And if you do it, you're just going to fall into that trap. And it's, it's, it's not a smart move, man, because, um, well, where, where are we at? What, what is, what is your prediction? Cause this is, I mean, this, this for you, for the audience, just vectoring you in has everything to do with resilience in your preparation because preparation whether it's exposure, uh, it's accepting new challenges, managing stress, getting good sleep, all lend themselves to resilience, especially a preparedness plan and kind of understanding what you need to get set up for for the future. And we talked about a little bit, but the election cycle, like we just experienced the volatility mm-hmm. and, the, and, the, and the insane extremism mm-hmm. on both sides during this election cycle we're going to be at that in two and a half years. In, in two years, we're yeah. going to start seeing on the lead up. Well, this year we'll see it because the midterms. Yeah. We'll see some of it. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, violence and dividing people is a proven political tactic. And it worked in the last election. They're going to redo it, right? And this is not fear-mongering or anything. And if you a couple of years ago, if you said bugger, people think you're crazy, right? They, told, they actually said we were crazy. Yeah. yeah. But now, if you live in one of these big cities and you know there's going to be riots and violence and you don't have a plan to displace somewhere then you're probably doing a disservice to your family, right? Now, we talked about it t- yesterday. We're going to start doing 
one of the things we did really well in the military was planning, right? We planned the crap out of stuff. Um, so we're going to start teaching some classes on resilience, evacuation, bugger planning, right? Because there's a lot goes to it. And, you know, practical exercise in a classroom environment for two days on um, routes, you know, primary all to contingency emergency routes. Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? How are you going to keep your fuel? What are you putting in your truck? What are you going to put in your bag? What are, you, what, what are you going to use for defense? Because at the end of the day, if you can't defend yourself, somebody's just going to take your shit. They're just going to take it from you as resources get low. If it snows for three days in North Carolina, the whole place looks like a, a zombie apocalypse, right? The... Um, the gas shortage there. People are almost killing each other for gas a couple of, you know. Um, so I, I think that planning exercise where you go in a classroom environment and you'll just go through all the contingencies and plans and and it, it you could take that model and those that those uh, check boxes and all that and, and checklist and you can apply it to your own personal. Uh, like if you live here, you're getting choke pointed in, in Provo Valley. Like there's one road out and you're, that's going to be backed up. And we, we'll teach you how to build contingencies for that stuff. And this is not some crazy right-wing conspiracy theorist. It, it, it does happen already, right? Natural disasters, uh, natural floods. Natural disasters, floods, Hurricane Katrina. Yeah. If you don't have family to go to, then you got to go somewhere. And, and people think, well, I'll just go up into a mountain, into a rural area. You think those people want you? You think they're not going to have roadblocks? You ain't coming to Hebrew City. No, you know what? You think they're not going to have roadblocks on the road blocking the millions of people pouring out of the city, coming in to eat all their resources? They yeah. will stop you. Because their families are yes, there. Yes. Yeah. They ain't coming up into Hebrew. I promise a, you that. Yeah. So, um, but there are ways to get into areas where you can sustain life and 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 there's there's whole considerations that people haven't even thought about. So I, I, I think that's... I think that'll be a popular class. What's that one called? It's called a uh, bug out planning. Yeah. Yeah. BOP. Mm -hmm. yep. the, um, what's interesting is, you know, our experiences in the military, uh, especially for the army where they train you as a young infantry guy or combat arms guy. I think the whole, the whole uh, U S army is designed this way where they teach leadership mm -hmm. from a young age, including uh, as a private, almost in basic training, it basic starts, training. Yeah, yeah, it starts, mm -hmm. and, and that's unique, by the way, in most services. Like mm -hmm. the Navy and the Air Force don't do that. Really, literally. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's just not part of the yeah. culture as much as it is is uh, in the in the army, and that's because the nature of how they operate in the it's field. So big and yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh, and even the breakdown in task organization of operating in mm -hmm. squads and teams and platoons. So um, we went through training and special forces training. Uh, learning the whether it's the five paragraph operations order, the military decision making process, the concept of the operations template, the Warno template, troop leading procedures, mm -hmm. uh, ACOCA, all of these acronyms, it, but they're processes. Mm -hmm. I remember doing isolation planning training in small unit tactics, where, which I was familiar with from Ranger and infantry days, but also learning MDMP, military decision making process tactics. And, and being in isolation with a whiteboard going, this is brutal. Yeah. But then when you look back and reflect, it is the reason why we're successful entrepreneurs, su successful trainers, mm -hmm. planners, mm -hmm. because all of those processes benefit us in everything executable in our lives. Yeah. And I think that's what people don't understand. And when you're young, you don't understand it because you're like, why am I planning for three days? 
it's the planning process that's important, yes. not the product, right? It's the process. So Eisenhower, yeah. I think Eisenhower said that. He said, plans mean nothing. Planning means everything. And it's- the, Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's a great quote, yeah. right? It's about yeah. the process. It's about sitting in there in Robin Sage and going, all right, um, the enemy are going to do this. Now we're going to do this. And now we're going to do, he's going to react yeah. this way. And you're just wargaming the whole yeah. thing. Laying out the equipment saying, hey, we need this and this. Mm -hmm. And you go get the equipment and you put it on. You're learning the equipment. Yeah. You're yeah. learning all the mm -hmm. things while and, during the process. And when it happens, you're already, it's so ingrained in you. Now we did hundreds of combat ops in combat, right? But even building sand tables for the indage with the ERU and stuff like that. And it was about them getting into the sand table and learning that the lay of the land so when they hit the ground they would know and it's about um hey, hey this is this is actions on this actions on this actions on this so you already have that done so when it happens it's a battle drill right um if we're compromised in this this is what we're going to do boom 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 right and everybody knows but at this point that uh, those contingency plans change because we're committed further down the line and all, but it's, it's hashing out all those things. So you're not trying to make a decision on the side of the mountain when something went wrong that you didn't think of. Right. Yeah. So planning is extremely important and we're going to whittle it down and take that five paragraph upward or make a civilian version of it to the things that are per pertinent. Right. But situation, mission, execution, service and support, command of signals, boom, and all the pieces under there. Um, and it's food for thought for a lot of things, right? Because people go, oh, I never even thought about that, you know? Um, Is it going to be boring? Uh, no, we'll make it fun. We'll yeah. make it fun. Push-ups and sit-ups. No. So I think I, I assume that the, the uh, idea walking away from it is that when you go back home, you now have a template and process and understanding of how you could plan your own displacement from catastrophe yes. bug out plan yes per yeah. se and and we, we'll we'll take snippets of it and do content on it as well because it's too much to to digest in one go but yeah you take that template and then you go apply it to you because you're now you're living in chicago right and here's uh if something happens here this is where i'm going and these are my options um it, it it's you can't you can't get in front of every possible scenario and we're, we're never going to try to teach you what to think we teach you how to think and and you can take that and put that into apply your, it to whatever apply it to your situation and, and it's it's peace of mind it's and this is not some crazy prepper thing it's um it's it's really something you should get your family involved and if you if you make routes right i make routes primary all you should really drive those routes if you're going up in the mountains go up in the mountains check out the area, you know, make it a family kind of day trip or, or whatever. Um, I, I think it'll be pretty interesting and I think it'll open some eyes. And as as we do it, I will learn stuff as we do it. So will you, oh man, I never thought about that. that that's a really good point. Um, I, I think there's there's a gap in the market because not everybody can teach that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's tr right. Mm -hmm. Everybody can teach flat range supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> um, when, we, when, we, when we look at being prepared and resilient in the moment. And we use the truck Ritter example of him navigating moment by moment and action by action. I asked Sean Kirkwood the same question. Like, have you ever been in a position where you're you're thinking, I don't know, I'm going to die or this situation's not going to pan, pan out well. I know you, you had told me a story about Somalia. I don't know if you could tell that story. But you, you had these moments in your career, in your life where you're like, dude, this might not end well. But you push through and that those are defining moments, because if you don't have the willingness, 
whether it's the motivation, willingness to continue to to thrive, to make decisions, any decision and make action, you potentially could be a victim. You could die. You can get injured. Be a liability. To You'd be a liability. Yeah. You've navigated this. There's specific moments in my mm-hmm. life where I've done the same. Is there anything that sticks out in your career of when it was like, oh my God, and then you got through it, and then do you, and then looking at that situation in hindsight, do you know why you were able to do that? I think the same traits that keep you moving in selection, one foot in front of the other and not stopping, yeah. keep you moving in combat. Now, I will, I'll be honest, in combat in the American Army, I never felt like we were, we, we were never really outgunned, right? We yeah. were um, early on in Afghanistan, um, it got worse later on, but that there were teams in Afghanistan who were in massive firefights that didn't have air and all that. Because we were in the SIF, we had a lot of assets with us and, and I never really felt like, oh my God, we're gonna get overrun, okay, yeah. personally. Now, um, with the same with you when you were a contractor, when I was in Somalia, there was four of us and mm. we had no expo no plan. Support. We had no support, we had no medevac. Uh, we had uh, our guns and our bullets and our trucks and, uh, that was, and at the time I knew it was extremely dangerous, but I really didn't care because where I was in my life at the time, um, that when I think about it now, um, or when I thought about it years later, I was like, wow, we had no medevac, none. Like, cause we were contracted, nobody cared about us, right? And we had no, if the whole place, it had already collapsed, but if we got attacked, we had no way to get out of the country. Like we had no exfil plan. Um, you're almost expendable because you're forgotten We were about. expendable and yeah. I think we accepted that. Yeah. I think we accepted the fact that we were expendable. And uh, But it's a completely different way to look at things when you're four guys with no backup or when, when you're in special forces and you have a whole country behind you with assets and, and, and uh, the, the backing you need. So uh, never really gotten some, some horrific gunfights in Somalia, but never felt like we were going to get overrun. Um even at the worst time, and I, I maybe I was in denial, but um, I never really felt like that. What, what about you? Do you ever feel like that? Like you're like, oh, I remember you're on the roof with with Chris that time, and they were coming in, hosing everything down with the mini guns, and and uh, I remember you telling me that uh, there was a, an infantry kid, there was infantry kids up there with you, and you looked over, and the rounds were flying over your head, and the kid was trying to dig his helmet into the dirt on the roof to get yeah. lower, right? Yeah, below um, the low wall. Yeah. Yeah, I felt. I think at that moment, I remember saying to myself because I thought, um, like, there's a satellite dish near uh, Chris that was disintegrating, mm-hmm. and then uh, an RPG around air burst above us, mm-hmm. and I and then uh, at this point I'd already seen a mortar round impact next to us mm-hmm. in the in the building, but we had no. We were pinned down, but if we came off the roof, we we didn't have the ability to provide containment for anybody. And we were the only eyes for the tanks and Bradleys that Mm -hmm. were below us. But I remember saying to myself, I'm going to die. Now I said that to myself in Afghanistan too, because of mortars and and rockets. Mm -hmm. Um, Rockets are weird. They're scary, man. Because you don't know where they're going to land. And they're coming in and you're like, okay, maybe it'll hit me and maybe it won't. I, I, I think there's a, there's a little bit of acceptance. And I remember having this conversation in Iraq, I think with somebody and said, look, I've accepted the fact that I might die. I've had a good life. I've, yeah, I've, but same. this this is a path I've taken. And if it leads to me dying, it, then it leads to me dying. And it's regrettable, but I've already accepted that. Yeah. Or I or I can't I can't leave the wire because I could hit 
IEDs anywhere. I get shot, get blown up. There's so many ways to die. Um, if you don't accept that, I think you're just- You're, you're freezing I, place. I don't know how you work. I don't know how you go on mission and, and drive and um, in a place full of IEDs and suicide bombers and, and snipers and gun. I don't know how you function in that if you're extremely scared of dying. I yeah. actually don't think I was that scared of dying, honestly. I, I kind of accept that if it happens, it happens. Maybe that's my way of coping with it. Yeah. But I, I, I can't imagine how else you, you cope with that. I, I remember a band of brothers, um, the actual first time I watched it was in Afghanistan in 0405 when the the one captain, it wasn't Dick Winters, it was yeah, the other, the other captain. guy that ran through the lines. And yeah, like, he yeah. just accepted it. Mm -hmm. And and it's interesting because I had the same feeling and acceptance because we were doing uh, long range patrols and vehicles and open uh, Land Rovers. And we were on one MSR, one road. So, you know, people say, well, you got a primary and alternate route. Never use the same road you infill yeah, as the exfill. That's not an option. That's, yeah, it's not in an option in Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. And 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 driving on that road, Neil was my driver. Dave Painter, who's retired, was my my captain. So you'd sit shotgun and I was the gunner. And it was just us three. And it'd be us three and maybe one other gun truck because we did everything split team. So six Americans mm -hmm. with, a, with a couple of trucks of Afghans rolling out. And you know we've we we shot at bad guys with Mark 19. We got in some ticks, but I remember my biggest fear was driving up and down those roads mm. because you can't control it, dude. The, you can't control it. it. You can't control it. Doesn't it. matter what a badass yeah. you are at shooting. Yeah, ID. Hit, I, I, you know. I remember I cared until one day I just stopped caring. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's almost like I don't know, maybe being in a bad relationship where you're just like this sucks, uh, and then you care, and then all of a sudden you're just like whatever, yeah. like I'm, I'm just I, done. I, so in 06, we were at the emergency response unit, the police. Mm -hmm. We were rolling on targets and police trucks and all that. And it was, it was a great mission. White vans. White vans with no night vision goggles. Anyway, yeah. so um, we were at a lot of gunfights. We were a lot of, a lot of things. But I remember we came back. I don't know if you remember this, but we used to go to the Iraqi chow hall and eat breakfast. Yeah. Because you get real eggs. And there was a salmonella so thing. Great. Yeah. And you couldn't get eggs at that. Right, so we were getting real eggs and we were eating. Good remember, food. Good I, bread. No, good great. eggs. Yeah. Great. Cheese. And I remember, and I, I, I actually never talked about this before, I don't think, because I, I always think people would be like, oh, that's BS. But I remember you saying to me on tar uh, at breakfast going, I feel nothing on target. Mm. Nothing. And I was like, me too. I feel like the exact same as I feel right now. Mm -hmm. And uh even gunfights, I felt nothing. And and it's probably not healthy. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know why that was. And it was the same for all the, the subsequent trips and all the subsequent combat missions. Some of them were horrific gunfights. And felt nothing. Nothing. Felt yeah. nothing. Yeah, I think at that, uh, I got married before that trip in a courthouse where Edgerly was my witness and so was the security guard. Mm. And it was a hasty decision because I had accepted after a bad Afghan trip where Red Wings and a whole bunch of crap had happened that I was going to die. Mm. And I was just like, I, I'm just going to be dead. Mm. And, and that's okay with me. Like I, I was completely accept accepting of that. And so I, I, you know, when, when uh, I think you called me when uh, Ben Bittner was killed, um, I was at my in-laws uh, house in Raleigh and you called me and told me Ben was just kill killed. And then I immediately went to uh, April's house. My son's named after Ben. And when that whole thing happened, I, I didn't feel remorse for him mm -hmm. because Ben was a guy who wanted to fight. Mm -hmm. And he, if killed doing the job, 
Yeah. Would never regret it. Mm-hmm. Super soldier, right? Super soldier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but also I felt regret for his family, mm-hmm. for his wife, for his 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 child. Mm-hmm. And so it became harder because I realized at that point there was something to die for. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. We, we we accepted risk. But I remember we me and you were driving back from uh maybe it was 07. I think it was 07. Maybe 06. We were driving back from something and it was in in the darkness. We had either done an op, we were coming back in a vehicle on Baghdad International Airport. And no, it must have been 06 because the surge. We heard on the radio, we knew about it because we had got the brief, but we heard on the radio they were recalling guys Mm. from the striker brigade Mm -hmm. that had already been sent home after a uh, a, a year, a year, yeah. and they were extending their deployment over Christmas yeah. for 15 months. Yeah, and because the president had just announced, Bush had just announced that we were doing a surge, mm-hmm. and then all gloves were off. Um, we were going to war. We were resurging the war and killing everybody, mm-hmm. and we were excited about it. And those guys were getting killed. Mm. And I remember because we came back the next year, and they were still there. Yeah, Boom. and and it felt. I felt bad for those families, but at that time when we started targeting the guys that were in 07, most of the targets that we were targeting were guys that were responsible for killing Americans. Mm-hmm. So they were high value targets. We felt uh, purpose driven and we felt energy that drove us to do whatever it took to kill bad guys. And, and if we lost guys, whatever, mm-hmm. I mean, on the ICTF side, we had like 12 purple hearts. Justin Munchke was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty dramatic mm-hmm. and the unit had lost some guys and yeah. it, it just, it was a bad trip, but we had accepted, everybody accepted that mm-hmm. fast forward. Um, my latter trips to Libya and even Afghanistan, uh, uh, later on when I left third group, I don't know if it was worth it. And I was in a different headspace. And some of the positions I was in mm. where I was like, I don't want to die. Mm. And when I was in Yemen with the government, I was like, dude, the last thing I want to do is be killed here because I don't understand the mission. I don't understand what we're getting out of this. Why are we here? Mm. And it didn't make sense. So I think a lot of the things that we had in our mindset, whether that's resilience or our ability to bounce back and get up and do it again, which we always did. Mm-hmm. Tung Nguyen was killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, in uh, November of 06, that mm-hmm. trip. And we, Jason fought for us to go out that night yep. and go on mission when mm-hmm. the whole task force was shut down. I don't, I don't agree with shutting down a task force because you lose yeah. people, man. You, you go back out. You so, get it done. Yeah. So we did. We did. The next mm-hmm. night we went out mm-hmm. and we needed that. Mm. But it's like well, when you look at the position of even soldiers now, people now, are they the ones that you're going to pick up the sword, pick up the gun and fight the cause because they're so uh there's so much passive aggressive behavior. Disillus- a lot of a lot of soldiers I think are disillusioned now because they came into the military and they came into SF hearing the stories about the global war on terror and that that's not going on anymore and they're they're, they're not doing the mission that they thought they were going to do and they're they're getting very frustrated guys uh, on what they have they're, they're in a lull right now and and that's just the way it goes um peacetime armies are hard we're both in the peacetime army oh God. and then 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 we weren't um the 
yeah, I, I think you have to believe in the cause. And I think we did believe in the cause back then. And, and, and we did go out and kill bad guys who had been responsible for killing Americans and, uh, doing, doing fucking horrific things. Like we killed some bad fucking people. Um, I, I don't know where resilience comes from. We're back to the resilience thing and the ability to get back out there and get in a gun. I, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's bred into you from a young age. Um, do you, do you think you teach, I talked about it with Sean, a lot of people don't realize like we teach, but we also have instructors that teach a lot of civilians. Mm -hmm. I mean, this company, I mean, Sean brought it up last podcast that, you know, everybody from Mighty Oaks, a faith-based organization that's doing good work overseas to police departments. We're mm -hmm. taught board tech and shield training mm -hmm. for free based on Uvalde, mm -hmm. all these things. You teach personal protection mm -hmm. and all these courses and you see somebody come in and then you see somebody go out. Mm -hmm. Do you think based on what they're learning that they're learning and becoming more resilient as they leave? Do you see I've a shift? Never, I've never seen, and it, it, I've never seen a faster evolution in one day of training than personal security because you get people in there who- They are, call it personal protection. Person, yeah, they, yeah you, you've called it that a lot. Damn it. Um, we got to change the name. Because they come in, you get them and, and they do, they do all the, you do a little bit of mindset stuff. They do just firearms and we do law. We, we hammer the law because people have a very, very deep misunderstanding of what you can and cannot do. Um, what do you mean? Like, what is well, that? Well, castle doctrine is great, right? So castle doctrine means you have a, and it's different in every state more or less degrees, but Castle Doctrine affords you a, a, a higher expectation of uh, security in your home, in your car, and in your place of work. And it doesn't apply to your place of work in some states, and it doesn't apply to your car in some states, but like in North Carolina, it applies to all three in Utah, um, which means you, you have... You don't have to retreat. You don't have to, you know what I mean? Now, you can't just blast somebody because they're on your property. You're going to prison if you do that. You still have to. I'll shoot them in the face. I know, right? I, like, um, so th they have a deep misunderstanding of what you can and cannot do. And in the course, we hold you to a higher standard even than that because we want you to be, to, to, identify hostile intent and imminent threat. And we hold you to almost like the standard police are at because we want you to think through it because you don't want to just gun people down because you're in your house. It could be a kid who broke in to steal shit. You, you don't want to live with that. Hey y'all, we wanted to take a quick break to let you know that this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com. Your mind is one of the most powerful tools and valuable assets that you can have. Keeping it sharp is so important. There's no shame in needing someone licensed and ready to navigate your mind with you. Life's challenges can be tricky. And just having clarity and having someone to express your concerns and whatever those coping skills are too, and have them clarify that you're moving in the right direction can make all the difference. What BetterHelp has done is they've connected over 3 million people with licensed therapists. Super convenient, super easy, accessible anywhere, 100% online, and totally private. And guess what? If you don't like the therapist you've connected with, you just move on to the next one. So you still get to be in the driver's seat. You still get to be in control, but BetterHelp does all of the vetting for you, and they keep everything secure, and they make it so convenient. Right now, if you visit betterhelp.com, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash fieldcraft, the benefit code to get 10% off for being a fieldcraft 
community member will automatically be applied at checkout. So visit that website today. Y'all, let's get back to the show. We did firearms training and we did when we used munitions and they carry a gun locked and loaded all the whole afternoon. We do a ton of scenarios at a gas station. We do a ton of scenarios at, at the in the house and home invasion and active shooter and all that kind of thing. By the end of the day, they're they're like, Oh, I'm super calm. I said to a, a female there a couple of weeks ago, because she was like, I'm not comfortable carrying a gun. And at the end I said, Are you comfortable carrying a gun now? She's like, I'm looking forward to carrying a gun, you know? And in one day it just elevates. But what massively. is that because it's scenario based? The scenarios dip experience is the best teacher right so the scenarios put you in there and they're thinking on what to do what to do what to do and the role players are really good at at taking the traits of the student and and manipulating them now if you're not everything leads to a shooting if you're really good and really and you do the right thing i'll walk away right but if you're very wishy-washy and very like if you tell me do not take another step and i take another step and you see it again, and I take another, I know you're not going to shoot, right? I, like criminals are very good at reading people. They're very good at reading yeah. those. That's what street smarts is. Yes. Is the yeah. ability to read people. They can yeah. they can read people. They can see. A vic- they, they, they don't want a good witness. So um, if you're walking with your head up and you, you, you tag them and you see them, they don't want a good witness. They're lazy, right? Or they'd have jobs if they weren't lazy. So they're <laughs> looking for that easy hit, the person on their phone, the person not paying attention, and they're looking to get in and out. They're not looking for somebody who's going to fight with them a lot of times. So um, we teach a lot about situational awareness. We teach a lot about, you know, head on swivel, being aware of your surroundings without being super paranoid, back to the wall, all that. I don't do that personally, right? But you look for what's wrong. You look for what stands out as being wrong and avoidance. Avoid. If you go to a gas station and there's a couple of creepy looking dudes there, go to a different gas station and maybe don't let your car get completely empty before you have to go to gas, right? Um, but there's some very, very common sense decisions you can make and err on the side of caution and not get into that shooting because you don't want to have to shoot someone Take a human life, which is no small thing, and explain what happened and and defend yourself and maybe civilly sued. I just don't want to do that. And I, like I put a video out a while ago and I was saying, look, I have decades of training, hundreds of combat ops, right? You know what I do when somebody tailgates me in the highway? I move over because I know if I brake check you and we get into this game and we get off, I'm probably going to shoot you and kill you. And I don't want to do it. I, I, I want to go home and watch TV. So uh, my, I have nothing to prove. You know, I, I, I'll move out of your way. I probably, even though I was above the speed limit, and don't be the jackass below the speed limit in the left lane, but even if I was 20 miles over the speed limit, and I just move over because I just don't want to deal with it. it. Now, when I was younger, I had a break check you. And, and and I tell you, in the scenarios, women are generally better at it than men because women don't have an ego. And um, if if I come up and I, I'm harassing you and I'm I'm... I'm just guys can't walk away, man. And and it's difficult. It is difficult for a guy to walk away. And if you're coming out of a grocery store and there's a creepy guy at a car, it's hard to go back in and tell the Walmart security guard that somebody's at your car, right? It's just not manly thing. But in the grand scheme of things, if you go out there and you get in a fight with him and you end up shooting him, wouldn't you have been better off just to go in and get the cops, right? Um, so there's some very common sense decisions that you can make if you take your ego out of the equation and just be like, look, look this is... Uh, what I just did was not smart. Like I, I had one where a guy, and I, I I could tell just by looking at him, I put him in this scenario where the role player came out and he had groceries. Uh, or he came out and he had groceries to go to the car, role player in a blower suit. And the role player was asking for food. And the guy was like, no man, no man, no man. Like when he tried to go around, the role player would block him, you know? 
And then he had a kid. Now your, your first consideration is that child. You don't do anything that's going to put that child in danger. Going back in is the best thing you can do, right? But he leaves, pushed the kid to one side because he thought this is what we were looking for, I think. And then he steps up and grabs the guy and pushes him away. Well, the guy comes back at him and grabs him. Now, you're in a parking lot at Walmart. There's cameras everywhere. You aggressed on him, number one, right? And so when the guy comes back, he grabs him. They wrestle. The guy pulls his gun. Bang, bang, bang. Shoots him a couple of times, right? And... I think, I think he turned to me like I was going to give him a high five. I'm like, okay, index. All right, let's break that down. This guy is a homeless veteran. The VA screwed up his meds. He's never done anything wrong in his life. He was just looking for some food. And you gunned him down in Walmart parking lot and ca on camera for $9 worth of groceries. As an aggressor. As an, and you aggressed on him. You broke, you left your child and came at him. And that's what the camera sees. It doesn't even hear the dialogue, right? It just sees what you did. And I said, you're going to, that's going to be very hard to explain. Manslaughter at a minimum. Uh, dude, that's hard to explain and so avoidable. So freaking avoidable, you know? And there's tons of scenarios like that where we can kind of force you to think and think very quickly on your feet. And then the other thing about that course is articulation, right? You have to, you can do the right thing and say the wrong thing and get in trouble. Um, uh, but we, we teach all that articulation. So, and then we tell you, look, keep it brief. He did this, I did this. And, and, uh, uh, now I'm really stressed and I need to talk to my lawyer, right? But you don't lawyer up right away. You have to portray yourself as the victim. And and, and kind of, there, there's an example that I use that, that Ricky Harris actually told me about. In Virginia, there was a, a, a road rage event and it was a father and two sons and they ran this guy off the road. They were the aggressors. They got out with a gun, the father did, and the guy grabbed his gun and shot the father, right? Boom. The sons grabbed the gun, got in the car and left. Well, when the cops showed up to process the scene, the, the guy who's the victim, said, lawyer, the cops have no idea what happened. There's a dead body and a guy looking for his lawyer. So handcuffs go on, read him his rights, put him in the car. While they're processing the scene, the two sons come back. They go to the cops and say, this guy ran us off the road and they murdered our dad. Now you're on the back end. Now you're the aggressor and yeah, you're just- With behind, no witnesses. With no witnesses and you're behind a power curve, right? So I think the best, and I used to be of that mind that you lawyer up, right? I think it's smart to, he did this and I did this. Life was threatened. And I use deadly force. And now I'm really stressed. And you talk about it. So we go through that. But even in a scenario, which is not real, but it can feel real. At the end of a scenario, people will talk and talk and talk. Even though we told them not to. Talk and talk. And everything is on camera. Talk and talk and talk and talk. Because you're, you're trying to justify your position and explain what happened. Yeah. And you say way too much. Right? And even though we're like, right? There's, there's a fine line. So it's, uh, I've never seen a course where people evolve that quickly in eight hours of training and and the intro to the course is something kirsten said to me and i said put that as the intro and her intro was who's kirsten kirsten is a police officer who teaches that that uh she she i like she this is her program really but she her intro is as police officers a lot of times you're there to clean up the mess you're showing up you you, you become a police officer to come and save people but a lot of times you get there after the thing has happened right and um Sometimes in reflection after seeing dead bodies or seeing criminal acts or rape or whatever, you sit down. She was saying, I sit down at home and I think, what if I could talk to that person for five minutes and tell them what to avoid, what to do, what not to do, a little bit of advice. Well, what if I could talk to you for eight hours straight and give you the tools you need to not be a victim? And that's the goal of that course is to give you the tools you need to not be a victim in a very law-abiding way and a very... uh 
kind of situational awareness, avoidance, common sense. You mean you're not man. shooting paper targets in the face yes. and that's your that's yeah. your qualifier for being exactly being right. squared away for gunfighting? Yeah. yeah. I, I and I think there's a place for shooting paper targets, right? In your training regime, there's also a place for scenario-based training and, and putting yourself under stress like that because people act completely different than they think. It's really easy when you're on the catwalk watching somebody else. Yeah. But then when you come down, they're like, oh my God, it's, it's so tough. It's easy to choreograph the steel and the paper in the right positions in it the is, right place. Yeah. It's very much different under stress, yeah. under pressure yeah. to think through problems. Yeah, I remember doing a stress test in Sephardic where they put you in and you couldn't see it beforehand. It was all blind. Yeah. You know, they run through and, and you, you had no idea yeah. what you're going to face. That was scary. It was, yeah. yeah and as a first time gone. training because you're like, yeah. oh, what is this? Like, yeah. oh, that's a bad target. Boom, yeah. boom. What's that? Oh, that's a good target. Yeah. Okay, God, move on. Yeah. So, and if you fail, yeah. you're gone. Yeah. Right? If you didn't make a certain And that's time, combat. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. there's- it's good people unknown. and bad people. Yeah. Um, um, is it the failures or the successes that make the most uh, exponential growth change in those people? I think it's both, right? I, I think good instructors realize that students are customers, right? And you you can't, like I'll, I'll do role player a lot, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll fight to a certain point, but I want to build your confidence, right? Um, I think the failure is seen by everybody who watches, because everybody watches every scenario and they learn from it. And we have a discussion and go, what could have went better? So they're getting more reps that way. Yeah, they're getting more reps and you're learning from watching a lot, right? Because they're sitting back going, oh, I wouldn't say that, or I wouldn't do this, or I wouldn't do that. And then I, I think people learn. And then as they progress through the day, they get better and better and better. So they start out, the first scenario of the day is hard. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one. By the time they get to they the leave election, on a high, they kind of understand how to yeah. think and how this works, right? And um, do very well, do very well by the end, um, and, and, and handle a scenario really well. And you can tell, like I, I've I've been a role player and talking to people, and you can see their face twitching. Uh, like I, I've seen people like almost in tears at the end of it, but so glad they did it because to be exposed to that. It's almost like you got a free rep. Like it's already happened to me. I already had a creepy guy come up and ask me for gas at the gas station and then grab my shot, right? It's almost like I've been through it, right? I have that in brain and now I know how to deal with it's it. It's like a right? rehearsal. It's like a rehearsal. And again, we're teaching you how to think broadly, not what to think in every scenario, a million scenarios. But uh, I've never seen a course. I've never seen people evaluate, a, you know, Climb their capability that much in an eight-hour course. Like we had one, we did an FRG one for uh, wives of third group guys last year. And at the end of the firearms piece, this girl asked me, how do you make the thing go forward? The slide was locked to the rear. How do you make that go forward? Knew nothing about guns. Well, later on in the scenario, a guy came running up, showed her a knife, opened the door. She bang, bang, bang. And the gun malfunctioned. She bang, cleared it under stress. Had never done it before. And bang, bang, bang again. And she was shaking when she came out. But she handled it great. I was like, that was awesome. That was really, really well done. Yeah. And you um, can't, you can't get that type of training without making the mistake in real life. Yeah. You have to do it's you have to do scenario-based Here, training. Here's what I usually do. It's hard to show it now, but I draw a line on the board and I go, this is your incident, right? And this is you at the gas station getting harassed. This is you in your home invasion. This is you with a burglar in your house. So this is your incident. It might be three minutes long. It might be one minute long. Somewhere in here is the decision to reach for that gun and pull it out and use deadly force, right? That's a split second decision. 
right? On the left side of that, before it happens, if you overreact and pull that gun too soon, you might escalate something didn't need to be escalated. You might take an innocent life or you might go to jail for the rest of your life, right? If you overreact. On the other side of that, if you underreact too slow, murdered, raped, robbed, right? Beaten up, all those consequences of underreacting. So overreact too quickly, bad shit. Underreact, worse shit. That's your split second decision. And that's what that course is about. It's about that one second where you go, oh shit, this is bad. Boom, pull that gun out. Bang, 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 right? Um, that's what, it, and it's much harder. We've dealt with this years and years and years, right? But our ROE was different. But um, it's much harder thing to do than people actually think. Oh, yeah. And that's why, it, like- We've seen guys not necessarily freeze, but hesitate to make mm -hmm. the decision because yeah. they're not processing the information. They'll freeze for two reasons, right? They'll freeze because they're in denial. They're, the yeah. guy just kicked my door in and he's got a knife and he's standing there and I have a gun. And I, this I, isn't I'm in real. denial. I don't believe what I say. And then he comes running and they're like, oh, bang, bang, bang. It, that's one reason they freeze. The other is they overthink it. They're processing all this external information. Yeah. And they're trying to think, is this legal? Is this, uh, was he outside my house? Was he inside the castle doctor? You can be a Supreme Court justice. You have a split second to make a decision. It doesn't matter. You either ho recognize hostile intent or you don't. And if you don't, he's going to be on you. If you do, you're going to make that shot. Like you don't have time to process legalities, but what you do is you, you build scripts, right? And you build rehearsals and you know, and you, you take training like this that you've already been through it. And then you, 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 uh, you execute the drill, right? Uh, the, the, the thing with overreacting, uh, you know, I always say like, imagine you're pumping gas at a creepy gas station some night and some guy's walking towards you. Well, if you make this big overt move for a gun, I'm the guy coming to tell you that that pump doesn't work. And now I see you reaching for your gun. I think you're robbing me. And now I'm reaching for my gun. Escalate is something never needed to be escalated, right? You can stage and have your hand on your gun very covertly and you can dialogue with people at a distance. Women don't like to be rude. Um, I, I find teaching women very, very rewarding because a lot of women, they don't like to be rude. They don't want to be very direct with men. You're not going to turn- They don't a, want conflict. They yeah. don't want con You're not going to turn a good man violent by being very firm with him. But you may deter a creep, right? And you got to recognize not normal behavior, right? I could be out of gas. I'd never approach a woman at a gas station at night asking for gas. I just wouldn't do it. I'd yeah. fucking walk home before I do it because I understand that that's not a social norm. Like yeah. Normal people don't do that, right? Yeah. So you're, you're not going to- turn a good man violent by being very firm with him. But you may deter a creep. And then Jimmy, one of our instructors, a cop, was a cop, like he came up with it really well, a term he said, when it comes to dealing with this aggressive personality, I'm going to ask you, and like when it comes to compliance, I'm going to ask you, then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to make you comply. Oh. Uh, yeah. And I was like, I like that, man. Because if if you say, sir, stay there, you're making me very uncomfortable. It, like if you're a female guy and he keeps coming, he has bad intentions. That's not normal behavior. At that point, you escalate and he keeps coming. Then you escalate again. And people can cross distance very, very quickly. And if you can articulate that. Yes. Uh, that's yeah, key, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but there's tons of lessons learned and it's it's a great start point for people with guns because it's sims, it's less recoil, it's not as uh, intimidating. Uh, it's carried like a real gun, it's utilized like a real and gun. And it's live action role play. It's live action role play and it's- The best multiples, LARPing. Multiples, multiples, yeah. Best LARPing around. It is, it really is. And, and you know, 
scenario training is just it, it's it's, 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 it's underutilized. It really is. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Like when um, we did a sim hit with role players and B23, that was very different yeah. than doing a hit on paper yeah. at range 19. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like we're hitting paper, very predictable because it's yeah. going to be in the corner or it's yeah. going to be in the middle of the room. Mm -hmm. You do live action role play. Yeah. And the and, guy grabs you when and you the guy's, the room. Yeah, yeah. You get shot in the leg as you enter mm -hmm. the breach point. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. It's yeah. chaos. Yeah. And that's yeah. closer to live scenario based training, but which is also closer to the real thing. Yeah. Versus the is. like you say, the the script. It really is unreal. Yeah. yeah. It's like only dry firing your pistol. Yeah. Yeah. If you just stare at a pasty and that's all you do, but you're not focused on driving the gun mm -hmm. to different if mm -hmm. you don't drive practice and focus on driving the gun to different threats, like I I am uh, an an advocate of uh especially of the movement. Like practice movement mm -hmm. like if my, if i'm teaching a swat team day one if i have multiple days day one no guns footwork mm -hmm. we're working choreographed scripted footwork because there's only certain ways that a building can be laid out mm -hmm. and if you have the coordination eye hand coordination to navigate space put a gun in your hands your body will navigate the space like a choreographed dance mm -hmm. while you could take the capacity you have left, the bandwidth you have left and focus on identifying friend from foe, mm -hmm. right? Or engaging or multitasking. Mm -hmm. um, if you had to give, cause we're at the tail end of this podcast. Mm -hmm. if, we, if we had to give one pro tip for building resilience in somebody's personal life, what would it be? Pick your battles, man. I think we covered that, right? Pick your battles mm -hmm. and don't get upset over stupid shit that nobody cares about. Pick, there's enough things in this life to, to get to pull your attention, all the crap you can affect, push it to one side and leave it alone. And I, I think that will leave you the bandwidth to navigate and deal with the problems that need to be dealt with because there's plenty of them. And don't get distracted with that garbage. It's just, it's exterior stuff. Um, we, we do a great exercise in personal security. And it was, it was uh, when I was building this, I brought in, a, a, and it ties to this, but I brought in a, a mental performance coach from SOCOM to, to do some stuff. And he was talking about overthinking, right? And it kind of ties to this. And we'll give them all a sheet with every number between one and a hundred on it. And they're all mixed up, right? And I'll say, okay, everybody stand up. I'm going to call a number out. When you find the number, exit and sit down, right? And then start talking shit to everybody else who can't find it, right? And what'll happen is people will be like, oh, this is easy. And I'll go 25. And then a couple of people will see it, sit down, sit down. So I'm like, oh, three down, four down. Oh, don't be last, don't be last. You pop. And they start focusing on all these exterior distractions and they're not even looking at the paper now. The paper goes into the background and they see somebody sit here and see somebody sit here and, and that's pulling their focus and they're not doing, the, they call it win. What's important now, right? Focus on what's important now and don't be focusing on this guy sitting down. Oh, I don't want to be last. I don't want to be last. And they're staring at a piece of paper and they look at the line where the number is five times and they won't see it because they're 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 looking but not seeing and their, their focus is externally on external factors are not what's important right and i would i would it's a great actually we do it a couple of times people are like oh my god you know and i would i would almost equate that to this right if you try to focus on everything it's just going to drive you into the ground all the bullshit and all the garbage that you don't need to you like have stress in your life and that will leave you the bandwidth to focus on the things that are important like which will make you more resilient which will make you more resilient in the end because you're narrowly focusing your attention 
on the things that matter and you're putting your energy into the things that will grow you as a person and not just tear you down. I, I think that's from myself and I've done, I, a lot of these lessons learned we talked about, we, 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 we pull them from our own lives because we've done that. I've been focused on stupid shit and stuff that people say that I don't care about now. Um, you focus on the things that matter, you fix the things that can be fixed and you, you push out their birth for you, the, the garbage that you can't affect. I think that's a, a, a good plan. Pick your battles. Pick that's your good battles. advice. Mm -hmm. Similar advice from Sean Kirkwood. If you guys didn't see that, make sure you tune in to the uh, first episode of this Mission Resilience podcast. I just made that up. But I think I think resilience is something that needs to be distilled like good Kentucky bourbon. It's something that needs to be talked about, discussed, filtered through. And, and I think my evolution personally is just being on a mission to see what breeds resilience in people. I like to go to these, these, these cultures and these um, different parts of the world where people are more resilient and navigate how as a country, especially Americans can be more resilient. And you fall in that category. It's what we do at Phil craft. It's, uh, what, what Sean, Kevin and myself have done in a, uh, a military career, but it, talking about it and filtering through it mm -hmm. is an interesting thought experiment. And I, and I love it. Thanks so much for being on the podcast sure. and, uh, all the links and everything that we talked about are down below in the notes. You find uh, links to training, links to all the stuff that we do. Um, make sure you tune into the Phil Craft Survival Podcast and everything that we do. We will post all of our podcasts that we film with special guests on here, but this will be in a special playlist called Resilience. Uh, and I appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you subscribe, hit the notification tab, and let your friends know because it's something that uh, we want to continue to do. Uh, there is an audible version of this if you're watching on the, on, this on, only on YouTube and vice versa. Uh, go to the YouTube and, and see Kevin's beautiful face. Um, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, peace out.